everyone, and welcome to the Siemens Additive Manufacturing Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Eckhoff, and if you've been listening along, we're now in our second season, and we're working our way through conversations centered around specific industries that are adopting additive manufacturing. Episodes one through three were about additive in the aerospace industry, but today we're moving on and we're discussing additive in the energy industry. So for that reason, I have the great pleasure of welcoming my colleagues from Siemens, John Lusty and John Nixon, to the podcast. Thank you guys for joining us today. I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to discussing how additive manufacturing is, uh, is being used in the energy industry. Before we, we dive into that, maybe you wouldn't mind introducing yourself to our listeners with a brief description of your background and maybe what, what each of you do at Siemens. John Lusty, let's, uh, let's start with you. Hey, thanks, Ashley. So everybody, I'm John Lusty. I'm the industry marketing lead for energy and utilities. I'm based out of Calgary up in Western Canada. I've been with Siemens about 10 years. I've been in the energy industry for about 25 years. First third of it, I spent right in facilities with companies like Dow Chemical, Nalco Chemical, working on their steam and aqueous chemistry systems. And then I moved into the whole digital world after that, how we design and improve the design and operations of energy and utility operations. When I joined Siemens, I came into the, the customer team, worked directly with our clients. And about three years ago, I came over to industry marketing. And so my job is to help Siemens produce the content that aligns with real world customer problems and talk about how our solutions can make a big difference in the way they operate their businesses. And I'm John Nixon. I'm his uh, counterpart, sometimes referred to as his digital twin. I'm here in Houston, Texas. I've been in the industry for, oh my gosh, almost 30 years now. I've worked on almost every continent and for many of the top 10 oil and gas and energy companies. I'm now leading global strategy here at Siemens Digital Industry Software, and it's probably the most exciting time in 30 years that I've seen for the energy industry, especially when it comes to digitalization. Awesome. Maybe we can begin our discussion today just setting some background about the energy industry. For example, what types of products are our customers making and and how are those being used? Mr. Lusty, I'll start off with and then uh, hand it over to you. When we're talking about energy and utilities, it's it's kind of an interesting patchwork quilt or a combination of subsegments. So we're looking at oil and gas, owner operators, engineering companies, equipment manufacturers. We're also looking at power generation. That's both renewable as well as legacy fossil. We're also looking at chemical production, especially like petrochemicals. And then we also start moving into Water and wastewater and infrastructure as well. So a lot of that falls under energy utility. So when you say what products do they produce? Well, we're looking at producing, you know, refined crudes, for example, or we may be producing electrons as part of power generation from renewables and your legacy power gen. We may be producing polyolefins, olefins, different petrochemical products, especially chemicals. And then, of course, in water and wastewater, it's not so much a product as much as a process to treat and produce water effluent. Yeah, no, John, thanks. You mentioned just about everything that we're doing there. The other thing I would add is the mining industry really is another part of the energy supply chain. Yes. And this is it's very relevant today with energy transition underway with the global initiative to electrify the world. That's ultimately going to require uh, an increase in the global mining capacity, whether it's, you know, aluminum and copper or base metals or rare earth metals. And we, we all hear about these on the news. But as John said, our customers are really all along the supply chain, whether they're the, the equipment OEMs producing assets, the EPCs designing uh, projects for owner operators or the actual, in my example, the mining operators themselves. So really the whole energy supply chain is where we're involved. You used a term there, energy transition. 
I assume there are differences between legacy energy like oil and and refined uh, materials like that versus green energy applications. Are customers making different kinds of parts and are their goals for those parts different in, in those different, the new energy versus the old? There's a number of things in that emerging industry, and we, we mentioned energy transition. People will be familiar with ESG, environmental, social, and governance. There really is a revolution happening in the way that we supply global society with the increasing energy appetite that they have, but we need to do so in a more sustainable way, right? And that's going to force changes in the industry, not only in what we produce, but how we produce it. And at the end of the day, you know, society is going to need energy from all of these sources if we're going to be able to provide the levels that are required in addition to the developing world, right? Because there's a lot of new customers or new energy consumers coming along. So we're using these solutions to be able to support existing facilities and extend the life of the existing facilities. Capital projects take a long time to get approved, built, and commissioned into operations. So we want to extend the life of existing facilities, but also with new technologies in terms of advances around solar and renewables like wind turbines, et cetera, where there's still an awful lot of evolution in terms of how do we continue to improve the operation of those assets, make them more efficient, help support the service technicians who are maintaining them on site and continue to add that new form of power generation to electrify the world. And I'll just add one point. You mentioned something, Mr. Lusty, that springs to mind. Capital projects might take, I don't know, three to five years to plan, three to five years to construct, but then you're operating a facility that lasts 40, 50, 60 or more years. We're talking about additive manufacturing today. When it comes to repairs and spares, when those become obsolete or out of stock or the companies cease to exist, I mean, think about 40, 50, and 60 years. That's one and two generations worth of, of, of the human species that's come and gone, and these facilities are still here. And there are some that are, by the way, much older than that. Can you imagine the challenge when you're in operations with repairs and spares and you're trying to keep this facility going or you know, even do better than that, improve its performance the demand to extend that life and or improve that performance is going to be quite daunting. And that's where additive manufacturing comes in. You know, another thing to note, John, given that we're talking about the energy supply chain here is with new facilities, regardless of what type of power is being generated or whatever, whatever the process is, new projects, new components being added into, into systems also benefit from advances in digital technology. So just like in, say, the capital projects world, where we're eliminating silos of information, for example, eliminating spreadsheets so that owner-operators at the end of the day have consolidated, validated digital twins of their operations that they can then use as the foundation for innovation and expose that you know, make that information available to all of their knowledge workers so that we continue to improve the operations. You know, we're here to, today talking about additive manufacturing and the way engineers, knowledge workers in these organizations interact with their data, that's changing too. Not just what they're doing, but how they're doing it. So part of why it's such an exciting time to be in the energy and utilities field. Excellent. Well, you guys brought it back around to additive, which I appreciate because my next question is going to be about that. <laughs> Good thing. Yeah, great segue. We've we've seen our friends at Siemens Energy uh, adopt additive in a big way through some innovative design, but also by purchasing material solutions, uh, which is a you know, a firm that prints high quality metal parts. So it seems that 
the energy side of Siemens uh, was a large investor fairly early in, in the uh, the life cycle of, of additive manufacturing. And in general, I'm kind of wondering how quickly does the energy industry adopt new technologies? And has the adoption of additive, in your opinion, been faster, slower, or maybe on par with, with how that industry is, has adopted other technologies in the past? Siemens Energy was really a leader in this space. They got way ahead of a lot of people. I would say the energy industry has a history of being a laggard behind every other industry, especially manufacturing. There's many studies that have been done that have shown about a 30-year gap between where manufacturing might be, you know, automotive and aerospace, and then where energy is afterwards. And so and it's kind of held true. So I entered the market about 30 years ago, and the energy was just starting to scratch the surface on ERP, you know, inter- in- enterprise resource planning. And it has been slow to adopt digital technologies, but I've seen it really pick up the pace here recently. So I think we've passed an inflection point on digital's value for us in energy. And so we're right at that mark. Again, uh, historically speaking in history might not repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes. And we're starting to see this pace of digital adoption increase. In fact, last year in, uh, I think it was May or June of 2021, You saw ASTM International formed a new subcommittee, F42.07, which was specifically targeting out of the committee, F42, a focus on additive manufacturing for the energy industry. So you're starting to see people take a much greater interest. You're starting to see industry standards being developed around that for energy when it comes to additive manufacturing. And in fact, we visited with a very large account right before COVID, you know, caused lockdowns and everything here in Houston where we had Newport News come in with their trailer and demonstrate to them additive manufacturing on board, shipboard uh, additive manufacturing. And that large customer was like, oh my gosh, I can now picture this on offshore platforms for us. I can see how we can integrate this into our efforts and really save us, save ourselves some, some time and money. So personally, anecdotally, as well as what we're seeing in the research, we're starting to see a real shift in digitalization as a whole. And thus, we're also seeing additive manufacturing and its adoption will only increase both in depth and in speed of, of adoption. Mr. Lusty? Yeah, no, I think, John, you described it well. You know, we used to say in the energy industry, the customers in the energy industry used to say that everybody everybody in energy is in a race to be second. Nobody wanted to be first. And that changed about four or five years ago. The industry used to have blinders on it. If it hadn't been done in oil and gas or it hadn't been done in power, you know, it really wasn't relevant. And then... As the markets became more dynamic and volatile, especially when crude went negative, you know, remember that, John, that uh, you had to tape a $20 bill to a barrel of crude oil to sell a thing. <laughs> People, they recognized there was an opportunity to lift their head and, and, and learn lessons from other industries. Look to the left or the right. And you began to see that transition where. People recognize that, you know, what we produce may be different, but at the end of the day, we're all dealing with data. Management of change and, and, you know, between one industry and the other at the end of the day isn't all that different. And so the adoption of technologies like product lifecycle management, for example, even if you're operating, even if you're working on a project or you're operating a plant, these lifecycle management discussions began to take root. And we've really seen quite a, an interesting adoption, you know, in the industry and a real, real uptake. And that's... Uh, I think that got started because of market dynamics, but that movement is is uh, is really helping the efforts that uh, under, underway in energy transition. Because with changing red regulatory frameworks, 
companies may you know voluntarily decide let's say they're going to they're going to reduce their emissions by some percentage by 2030 or a regulatory body may come down and say that you have to do this but either way there's a lot of change happening and some of these best practices you know whether it came out of aerospace and defense or heavy equipment or whatever it doesn't matter if they're applicable in energy and utilities people are using them a lot more you mentioned something else actually that I thought was interesting too and that you know, what's happening over on the Siemens energy side. And, you know, as you've heard in John's and my bios, we didn't start out here at the beginning of our careers. We started off in different parts of the industry, but coming into the Siemens world, one of the things that makes Siemens an interesting organization, and we've had customers tell us this, is that we're not just a software company. We may be a very large software company, probably a lot larger software company than most people realize. But at the same time, we design equipment and we execute projects and we own and operate facilities, and we're a very, very large user of our own tools. So as I heard somebody say one time, you know, at Siemens, we eat our own dog food. And I can tell you, we are also a very difficult customer to work with, very challenging, uh, very challenging customer. So the Siemens Energy folks, especially, you know, coming back to your favorite topic on the additive manufacturing, have really done some amazing things with this technology. They're not only you know, using some of our own design tools and data management tools and all that stuff. But they've applied that to offer services to the clients that may take advantage of additive manufacturing and create services both to improve the equipment that they're producing. Maybe they're, they want to improve the corrosion resistance of the blades on gas turbines, for example, or they may want to offer a service to a client to help them extend the life of those turbine blades or to be able to print right on top of that actual turbine blade to improve performance or improve its uh, its capabilities. So additive manufacturing, it's kind of like the sticky note. Once you get it, it's, it's very ubiquitous. You can apply it everywhere. And it's exciting for us to see some of our own business units using uh, using uh, using this technology. And in turn, we in digital industries get to be subject matter experts to our colleagues. So it's excellent. And ultimately, it's good for the market, good for the business. That's great. So I heard you mention volatility as a reason for some of the increased adoption. I, I assume that companies are basically using technology as sort of a, a defense against volatility and, and regulatory things and, and market pressures and things like that. With that in mind, are, do you guys see any use cases over and over for additive taking hold in the industry energy with uh, with the customers you talk to? With the downturns, there's been layoffs. Those people aren't coming back to the industry. So you're going to have to do more with less. In addition to that, we have customers, especially around design and construction, you know, who serve owner operators. They've actually told us in meetings, we can't hire anybody. They don't see what we do as that kind of Silicon Valley-esque, exciting digital environment. They see us as a construction company. They see us as an engineering firm. The next generation was raised on Halo and PlayStation and iPhones and Androids. And so their expectations of excitement and usability and adoptability are very high and you can't have them walk into your company. You know, you're handing them a Fortran card to, just to be facetious, but you know, you're, you're, you don't want to take them back 10 or 15 years in time on the technology. You've got to be up with the times. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about use cases, right, like I said before, repair applications, repairs and spares, obsolescence is a massive challenge here. And if you've got a part, I mean, in the past, what did you do? Well, you'd cannibalize from other locations. Somebody knew somebody at some company that kept spares of something 
from like steam supply systems or bag filtration units or any number of other subsystems at, at say plant X over here, there's a cost to that because, you know, they're holding that inventory. So it could be a very expensive venture and you didn't necessarily always get what you needed. The promise here of being able to scan and be able to print what you need and potentially actually print something that works better because maybe something was became obsolete because, well, quite frankly, in its original design, wasn't what it should have been. But subsequent to that, there's a better design. But in the past, you'd have to tool up. You'd have to completely rethink how you would manufacture this. You'd have to have a big enough market to warrant it and everything. But now, why not just print it on demand? The only thing I would mention, John, is its influence in the energy supply chain. The oil and gas industry is an easy one for us to see because we all hear the hear about the market numbers when we go home at night. But, you know, the price of crude oil right now is very high. A couple of years ago, it was not. And yet owner operators in this space, companies that are dependent on the price that is set in the market and need to control their costs to influence their margins, need to reduce their costs, improve their efficiencies as much as they can. And we've seen cost of production while improving emission performance drop as much as 30-40%. And using uh, additive manufacturing to support the supply chain to reduce the amount of spare parts they need to maintain or to be able to produce parts that would perform at a higher level that have a direct impact on lowering cost and improving reliability has been a big part of that. There's never a quick fix in energy. It's always, uh, you know, as they say, death by a thousand cuts, right? It's incremental improvement all along the value chain that ultimately aggregate up to cost savings and higher efficiencies. And there's absolutely a role to play as we're seeing in the adoption of additive manufacturing all across the life cycle of a facility. As a use case, there's a a myriad of sustainability use cases. 24% of all solid waste in the United States is produced by the construction industry. If you look at that intersection, you know, to energy, you're going to have something like 2.2 billion tons of solid waste produced from all of this, this construction to include industrial construction that goes on in the world by 2024. And there is a real financial pressure from investment houses like BlackRock, JP Morgan, and others, we're not going to fund your energy projects if you don't have a strong ESG plan, environmental, social, and governance plan. So there's real use cases today of material traceability. Do I might, is the material I'm using have the lowest carbon footprint? Is the way in which I'm manufacturing going to reduce the amount of waste that is normally produced from said manufacturer of this equipment and or parts? There's a real Energy supply chain focus and companies are no longer allowed to look at just their carbon footprint. They have to look at the entire supply chain's waste and carbon footprint. So when we're talking about additive manufacturing, you're talking about a dramatic reduction in what it takes from both the waste and carbon perspective to actually produce the equipment parts and spares that you need to operate. So that sounds like a, like a large challenge, and uh, and it seems like there are quite a few areas where additive manufacturing might fit in and, and help with those issues in the energy industry. I'll have you guys hold that thought, and I think I'll stop us here. But don't fear, everyone. I'll have John and John back in the next episode to continue this discussion on additive manufacturing in the energy industry. And just as a teaser, I think, you know, next time around, we'll probably hit on some really interesting subjects like traceability and, and counterfeit parts, if it all goes to plan. But for now, we'll call it good on Season 2, Episode 4. I'd like to thank John Lusty and John Nixon for joining me, and I'd like to thank the thought leadership team here at uh, Siemens Digital Industries Software for sponsoring this podcast. 
I'll be back with John and John in the next episode. And as always, if you have any questions about anything you've heard, please feel free to look me up on LinkedIn or on our Siemens AM blog, where I routinely post about additive manufacturing related subjects. A huge shout out to those of you in the audience. Thank you so much for being with us today. You've been listening to the Siemens AM podcast. I'm Ashley Eckhoff, and the three of us will catch you in the next episode.